Father, we are, as always, humbled by your incredible mercy and grace, who you are. And as we're looking at again today, we just thank you in the midst of coronavirus, COVID-19, and all that our nation and world is, is facing, and we as individuals and as a church and as, as, as uh, uh, just human beings and as believers, Father, I pray that we would realize that you're sovereign over that as we look at that again today, that you are God over everything, you're, you own it. Uh, you're in the middle of it. You're also on the other side of it. And, and we would come back to how comforting that is and how we can trust you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we close out April, I'll just tell you a couple of things. Uh, and then we will get into Psalm 103. I want to personally, from my heart, tell you thanks. Uh, God has reminded me again this week in my prayer life, and we had an elders meeting this week, and in my prayer life and in the mail, God has reminded me how faithful you guys are, uh, how good he is, and I really want you to know that I appreciate you, that I love you, that uh, uh, Friday, uh, just opening my desk here at the church and taking out the mail and the kindness, the generosity that you're showing by continuing to give uh, really blessed me. Uh, God, on Friday, answered a prayer that I'd been praying for weeks and just got a phone call and, and the Lord answered that. It just reminded me and, and some of our elders that he is the Lord. And so I want to tell you that nobody likes having to worship like this. Uh, we want to be together. We want to see one another. We want to be the body of Christ corporately meeting together. That's our desire. It's what we want to do. But for right now, this is where we are. And so I want to, again, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your, your encouragement. That's so many uh, emails that I've gotten in texts and, and even phone calls. And got, we even got one card in the mail. And just how uh, encouraging that is to me. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart and from our elders, we want to say to you that uh, it is a pleasure in a difficult way. All that we face is not as hard, but it is a pleasure to lead people who want to follow Jesus Christ, who just want to serve the Lord. I, I love you guys and I appreciate you. So turn to Psalm 103. What we're going to do today is finish up what we started last week. Title of what we're talking about today is Where is God? Part two. Not Where is God, the second person of the Trinity, but Where is God? Part two. We began to talk about this last week and as we continue our series on Who's Your Daddy and the fact that He's God. And what we're looking at this particular message and last week and in finishing it up today is that God is sovereign, that He is in control of the universe. He owns the universe. We talked about last week, maybe the best definition of the sovereignty of God, it means that he is God. Because in our minds, we all have a concept, everyone has a concept of God. No matter who they are, they have a concept and a philosophy about God. And what it means, what we believe from the God of Scripture, that when it says that he's sovereign, what it means for us as believers, Christians, is that he is God. He, he is the great I am. 
He does exist. He is the creator. He is the savior. He is the one who is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He is in the middle of all we face. We'll talk more about that today. So the great question for the human race in the middle of a difficult, difficult time like the coronavirus pandemic we're facing is where is God? And as we talked about last week, it's very important for us as Christians to live out and communicate this truth. That God is not what I want him to be. He is God. He decides what he's going to do. I don't tell him what to do. I seek his will for me and for us. And I want to be in the middle of what he's doing because what he's doing is always good. He doesn't force evil on us. Yes, evil exists, and it rains on the just and the unjust, Scripture tells us. But for us as believers, we have to understand perspective. I want God to do something, and he'll even say, we saw last week, I am going to be just. I am going to judge. I am showing kindness and mercy and love. We want him to do it the way we want him to do it, and we want him to do it when we want him to do it. But what we have to keep coming back to is he's God and I'm not. And I need to be reminded of that on a regular basis. I need to understand that I'm supposed to trust him and know that he is in tomorrow. Talked about earlier that he is omnipresent, not just that he's everywhere right now. He's everywhere in space and time. He's outside time. And that's why, as I said last week, the sovereignty of God we're looking at today is the most comforting doctrine in Scripture. Nothing catches him by surprise. There's nothing he's not in control of. And there's nothing that he's not in the middle of working good. So let's walk through Psalm 103, a few more verses, and see what that means. So where is God in the middle of whatever? In this case, all that we're facing. Number one, or he's there sovereign. Number one, in mercy. Look at verse 11 of Psalm 103. Verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Very well-known verse, verse 12. So God is there in mercy. And where it's described for us in verse 11 and 12 is that this mercy is great. We love, we throw the word around great and we use it all the time. I want you to notice how he describes it, verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, even we as a human race, and I still remember in 1969 sitting in, in a, a friend's house and, and we'd had church youth group that, that Sunday night and we'd gone over to this person's house and we're all sitting around watching on the little television, Men Walk on the Moon in July 1969. And I remember, man, how fascinating that is. And then as I've gotten older and older and older and studying not just scripture, but just studying in general and learning, realizing how vast the universe is, the heavens, as the metaphor would be used here in Psalm 103, we're still, we'll, we are still as human beings, as, as advanced and as intelligent as we are, we still know very little. Our knowledge of the universe is minuscule. And what God is saying to us is, not only did I speak that universe in existence, here's what I want to say to you on a personal level, God is saying. I am sovereign over what you're facing, and I am sovereign in showing you mercy. And the first description of that mercy is that it's great, as high as the heavens are above the earth, which means we can't even figure out how high that is. That's how great God's mercy is for us. 
So great is his mercy toward those who fear him. For those of us who are in awe of God, who are trusting him, fear doesn't mean, ah, he's going to get me. Fear means respect, reverential awe. That he, wow, my daddy is God. And that's how much his mercy means to me. But secondly, on a very personal level, look at verse 13. The next description of this mercy. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He's just told us he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's what it means that he's showing us mercy. Mercy means he's not punishing us for it. He punished Jesus for it. And he, and he removes our transgressions as far as east is from west. And he remembers them no more, the Bible tells us. And then he says to us here, not only have I removed them, they're forgiven, but I'm loving you like a father cares for his children, hurts for his children, loves his children. He knows our frame. And that literally means he understands our constitution. Every one of you is unique. And as a Christian, your father knows everything about you. He loves you. You are his child. So we understand father-child relationships. What he's saying here is, on an exponential level, far above what you even understand on earth, but look at that metaphor. I love you. I'm showing you the mercy a father would show for his child. And we understand how special that is. But then look at verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. It's in its place it remembers no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, those who remember his commandments to do them. So his mercy is not only great, it's not only mercy like a father, who, the idea of who's your daddy showing you mercy, but it's eternal mercy. Look at the metaphors that are used in 15 through 18. In verse 15, he reminds us, you as human beings, you have a temporal time on planet Earth. Your days are like grass. The flower you feel, it flourishes. The wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. And the idea is this, for us as human beings, back to this perspective issue, we want God in his sovereignty to do what we want him to do right now. What he's saying is, your time on earth, even if it's 100 years, is nothing compared with the mercy that I show you, which is eternal. Notice verse 17, the first word is but. To stop and understand this contrast God is saying. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Again, those of us who are his children, who trust him, who love him. His mercy for us is not just right now. It wasn't just years ago. We talked about last week, 50 years ago, I I trusted Christ on April 19th. Well, here we are on April 26th. And God didn't just start showing me mercy then. That mercy was there. And it continues to be there. And it will be there as long as I'm on the planet. But my time on the planet is like a vapor, James says, here today, gone tomorrow. And yet eternity is forever. God is saying, my mercy for you is great. It's that like a father. And it's not just for now. It will carry you throughout your earthly life. And then you'll come home and you'll be with your dad forever. I, I love you. As a father, the word pity is not a good Hebrew word for us. Pity means just really cares and hurts for his children. Our father 
loves us and he shows us mercy. So back to this point, the sovereignty of God that we're looking at today. We talked about last week, all his attributes flow out of his sovereignty. And yes, whatever I'm facing, he is sovereign over it and in control of it. And he's right there showing me mercy all the time. What he wants from me is a response of gratitude. The Bible says to be thankful for all things. That didn't mean just the things I want. It doesn't mean just the things that I like. It means that everything, because God is showing me mercy. Secondly, where is God? He's not only sovereign in mercy, but he's also sovereign in his rule over all of this. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Rules over all. Now, the literal picture here in the original language in the Hebrew is God is sitting on a fixed, established throne. And the idea is he's immutable. We'll talk about that attribute down the road. He does not change. Hebrews tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And back to the contrast that he's showing here between earthly and eternal. Think about a monarch on earth. I was reading an article this week about uh, something about the royals. And when you're uh, at home a lot, you read a lot of things that you probably wouldn't read normally. So I'm reading an article about the royals. And it was talking about the queen and how old she is. And we think about sovereigns on earth and we think about monarchs. And again, 95 years old, whatever it might be, it's still temporary. And it can change. What God is saying here in verse 19 is that his rule, his sovereignty is established. His throne is in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The idea of being established, heaven is obviously the idea of he's ruling over the entire universe and it's established. It is not being moved. It is not changing. But the second point in the original language that's being made here is this. His rule, his monarchy is not capricious. It's not subject to whims, emotional changes. Uh, he's not going to, something traumatic's not going to happen in his life. And suddenly God, God abdicates the throne. It is permanent. It is established. It is eternal. He rules over all, and it's not temporary. It's not going to be altered by somebody, a coup coming along and overthrowing him. He's not going to die and pass the throne on to somebody else. No revolution is going to overthrow him. He's not going to be conquered. Verse 19, look at it again. It is over all. He's ruling over all. Now look at the next cool thing, verse 20. Bless the Lord, you, his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. So he's reminding us, because we think about angels, wow, that's cool. We even have the mindset many people do, and I did growing up, and even in the church that I was in fostered this mindset, that when I as a human being die, I go to heaven, what happens? It's a wonderful life. You get your wings. You become an angel. No, understand this, two separate entities, two separate groups. He's already said, I'm ruling over all the universe. And specifically here, he mentions angels. But notice what he says about them. They excel in strength. But look at verse 20. Not only do they excel in strength, they do God's word. They don't question. They simply ask as messengers of God on behalf of, 
of human beings who are God's children. That's how special you are. Your daddy has angels that exist to come minister to you based on his word. That's astounding when you understand it, what the true meaning of what angels do. So number one, they do his word. Look, he says it again in verse 20 for emphasis, heeding the voice of his word. They do what God tells them to do. They don't question him. They don't, they don't ask him to do something else. They don't say, well, Lord, I want you to do this. They say, Lord, what is your will? What do you want me to do on behalf of Randy, on behalf of Steve, on behalf of you? Lord, what do you want me to do for your child and I'll do it. They simply exist to do the bidding of God, specifically on behalf of God's children. He rules over angels. Next point, verse 22. He rules over all his works and all his places. Verse 22. Bless the Lord, all his works, in place of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He keeps saying it, the psalmist, over and over, David. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 22. He is sovereign over all his works and all his places. In other words, we've mentioned it over and over, but as I said, it's the most comforting doctrine in Scripture, and here's why. There's nothing in the universe, nothing, that God is not over, ruling over. And the most significant thing in the universe, according to God, is you, me. We're created in his image. Jesus came and became, uh, uh, God came from heaven, second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became the Son of Man, Jesus of Nazareth, to die for us, human beings. So we could be children of God. Nothing else in the universe can do that. That's how special you are. That's how cool it is that your God, your dad, is sovereign over the universe, all his works. In Ecclesiastes, let's mention a couple of things. In Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. The picture of God being sovereign over creation. The Bible says this. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes. But the earth abides forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and it turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. And here's God's point that he's making to man. We focus on ourselves and all that's going on, and God reminds us generation after generation after generation. Man will come and man will go. But God has created a universe that will abide. Sun rises, the sun sets. And eventually God's going to give us a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. He is in control of all of this. Once God actually, read about it in the Old Testament, God actually stopped the sun for 24 hours. That's how, it's weird how powerful your father is. He stopped the sun for 24 hours. And the, the sun is just one star. God says he knows every single one of them. We're still trying to figure out one. 
That's who our God is. He's sovereign over all of that. And I love scripture and I love to meditate on it. One of the things I love to think about, talked about this before, but even now I'm looking out the door and I see sunshine. And God says, when you see that, it's just a reminder. Scripture tells us that God is saying, I'm here. Steve and I were sharing earlier before we started today how God reminded me this week and mentioned it earlier in prayer and in how he's answered prayer. And I, I spent a lot of time just sitting out of my driveway reading because I, I got to get out of the house. I got to get out of the office and I'll go out and shoot basketball for a little while and I'll just sit and read and pray. And, and I've had many opportunities just to share my faith. My next door neighbor this week lost both her mother and her father who were living with her in that house, both died on the same day this week. And I've had many opportunities to share with her and, and other family members, just uh, tell them I'm praying for them and, and being there and others just walking in my neighborhood and but just sitting there. And I love to always watch the clouds and, and even when it's raining, I love to sit outside and watch it rain. Weather is a constant reminder, watching the seasons change. The azalea is blooming in my backyard. God says that's all a reminder that I make things new. That's who my God is, sovereign over that. But secondly, or the next point, he's sovereign over, when we talk about works and places, our personal lives. In Romans chapter 9, the Bible says this, Indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make some, one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? I really want you to pause and meditate on those two verses for a moment. Here's what God is saying to you. I made you the way I want you. You have to be satisfied with that. Doesn't mean... Everybody's the same. I'd rather, I'd love to have hair, but I don't. I'd love not to have arthritis, but I've got it. I'd love not to have atrial fibrillation in my heart, but I've got it. What I do know is that God knows everything about me, has always, even before the universe knew about me. Loved me in the womb, says Psalm 139. He knew me before it was even there. He loves me. He saved me. He has things he wants me to do. He reminds me regularly that, I love you, Randy, and I'm using you, and I'm not going to stop until it's time. And so what he's saying to you is, trust me, I made you, your personality, your intellect, your abilities, your gifts, the things that were innate in you, I knew about them, and I gave them to you to use to glorify your Father. If you've got a goofy sense of humor like some of us, God said use it. Use it to maybe make people relax and feel like they're comfortable they can talk to you. And Lord has enabled, I don't have any talents other than humor. That's all I got. But I love to talk to people. And I want to be a better listener. But I want to love them and share with them. And God says, I want to use that, Randy. I want to use the, heart, the heartaches and the hurts that you've had growing up and, and over your lifetime and maybe even right now to share with someone else that you can reach out to. Maybe a total stranger. You don't know. 
in the midst of a pandemic where some people are just absolutely terrified, share the hope that's found in Jesus Christ because you have it. Share with them that God is here and he does love you and he'll be with you all the way through and to the other side because he's also already there. So where is God when bad things happen? He's also sovereign finally in specific things. I want to give three examples and then we're going to wrap up. So he's sovereign over what you're facing. He's in the middle of it, whatever it might be, every moment of every day, the good and the bad. There's a lot of bad right now. But he's in the middle of it with you, always working good, Romans 8, 28 tells us. I want to use three quick examples, which you know well. Mark chapter 4, the example there, the picture is your, your storm. In the middle of your storm, he's right there with you. Mark chapter 4, the Bible says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And the disciples awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Man, I love this story. They're in a boat out on the Sea of Galilee. An incredible storm comes up. It happens a lot there. Jesus is asleep. And I love their question. It's so much exactly what people are saying now. Jesus, they wake him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? Don't you care that we're being swamped in this storm? You're taking a nap. I wonder how many of them, or Peter, James, and John, who were in that boat. I wonder if they remembered this in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is sweating blood about to go to the cross. And he says to them, would you, would you stay here? Well, I go pray, and they all fell asleep when Jesus needed them the most. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Lord, you don't care that we're perishing? And the point is, he was in the middle of the storm with them. He wasn't terrified that they were about to die. He was taking a nap. He's in the middle of the storm with them. And he's also in control of the storm. When they woke him up, what did he say? He didn't say, oh, no, boys, what are we going to do? Start chucking stuff overboard. No. What do you do? Uh, he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. The wind ceased and the sea was calm. Please meditate on that with me for a second. Jesus got up from his nap and said, all right, hey, wind, be cool. That was the way Jesus taught. Be cool. And to the sea, Nip it. A little Barney Fife for you, some of you. Nip it. He told the wind what to do. He told the ocean, the Sea of Galilee, he told that sea what to do. And it obeyed him. Back to the definition of sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God means that God is God. A lot of people who are critical of the Bible say Jesus never claimed to be God, never proved that he was God. Who else is going to tell the, the wind and the sea what to do? And it obey. He made it, spoke it into existence. It obeyed him. So in the middle of your storm, 
He owns it. He's there with you. And he'll carry you through. Second example, in the middle of your persecution. Story of Joseph. We all know the story well, the end of it. Joseph's brothers, Genesis 50, Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we, do, we did to him. You know the story, and, and at this point, Joseph is now the number two most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh of Egypt. So his brothers went and they fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. You meant it for evil. So many times, difficult things, persecution coming from many, many directions and sources. He said, but God's going to use it for good to save many people. Whatever you're facing, whether it's coronavirus related or not, the persecution, wherever it's coming from, God knows about it. He knew it was coming. Again, he's in the middle of it with you and he's working good, maybe even to save people or to encourage other believers who mature them that what, some way God's going to use it. Third example, through the fire, the difficult moment that you're facing. The great story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and they said to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, we see no need to answer you in this matter. We're not going to worship your God, Nebuchadnezzar. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, Jehovah, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. He is able to do so. But, If not, if he chooses not to deliver, let it be known to you, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That's why they're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. They're not going to worship an idol. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been thrown into the fiery furnace. You know the story. They answered and said, "We true, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And we know the story. He throws them in that fire. It was so hot, seven times hotter than normal. It burned up the guys that threw them in there, just incinerated them. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are walking around with, with pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the middle of that fiery furnace. They're not hurt. And when they bring them out, the only thing burnt was what the ropes they had tied them with were burned off of them. They didn't even smell like smoke. And God sent Nebuchadnezzar a message, which he got, that I am God, and your gods are not. You see, we want God on our terms. But if he's sovereign... And we believe that he is, then we want him on his terms. Because his terms are perfect, fair, just. All the attributes we're going to be looking at next week, we're going to look at holiness. 
me give you a little contrast example, and then we'll share a story with you, and we're done. An unbeliever <clears throat> versus a believer. An unbeliever, non-Christian, stands in terror of God. A believer stands in awe of God. That's the difference in that word fear. An unbeliever is terrified when he thinks about eternity. It scares him. What's, what's beyond the grave? For a believer, eternity is exciting for us. We're going to paradise. Ecclesiastes says, best day of your life. We're going home. It, we're excited about that. For an unbeliever, the present joy they have in this life in the midst of difficulty seems weak, temporary, or they don't have it at all. For a believer, we're at joy all the time. doesn't mean we're happy and giddy and goofy all the time. It means we have an inner peace because we know our God is sovereign and in control. For an unbeliever, work is just work. Not necessarily fulfilling, even though it can be in a temporal, on a temporal basis. It's just something they're doing to get money and to enjoy life. For a believer, the work that we do, whatever your vocation might be, work is viewed through the lens of eternal perspective. How can I impact, do my job, but also impact the lives of other people? For an unbeliever, the idea of judgment, inevitable judgment, scares them again and robs them of the ability to enjoy the present. For a believer, inevitable judgment is not a concern for us because Jesus was judged on the cross for our sins and God has removed them as far as east is from the west. We are forgiven. So judgment for our sins is taken care of in Christ. It is finished. For an unbeliever, he wants justice right now. In many cases, he takes it into his own hands. For a believer... We just trust God. We know he knows what he's doing. We trust him. Here's the point. And we'll share this story with you and we're done. Here's the point of the sovereignty of God. Lord has saved us. He's brought us to this moment. 2020 is as difficult as it is. It's a great time to be a Christian because whether it's a fire, persecution, Whatever form it might take, in this case, the difficulty of trying to get through COVID-19, coronavirus, and all the other things that go on just with doing life. You have something to share with people that will change their lives forever. The forgiveness you find in Jesus Christ. We'll tell you a story about a man named Joseph. True story. Joseph was a Muslim. Grew up Muslim, had been trained Muslim. That's who he was. And lived in Africa. One day someone shared Christ with him and he accepted Jesus as his savior. And he was overwhelmed with such incredible joy that he went back to his village, his Muslim village. and started going door to door to tell people about Jesus dying on the cross, being forgiven for sins. He expected them to be excited and light up like he had done and receive Christ and know that joy. And to his amazement, the people in the village became incredibly violent. He was dragged out by the men, put on the ground, while women beat him with barbed wire. 
They dragged him to the side of the road in the bush and left him to die. He revived. He made it to a water hole. He spent several days just laying at the water hole recovering. He was confused. Remember, brand new Christian. He didn't understand why they didn't want this. He said, I must have done it wrong. After what he had gone through, he rehearsed what he needed to say, and he went back. Started the circle of huts, and he began to proclaim Jesus again. Exact same thing happens. He's grabbed by the men, he's dragged down, he's beaten by the women. Reopening the same wounds with the barbed wire they had created initially. He's left unconscious, dragged off to die. He survives again. Goes back to do it again. Before he can open his mouth, he's attacked again. As he's about to pass out, he looks and he sees that the women who were beating him with the barbed wire were crying. When he woke up this time, the women who had beating him were tending to his wounds. And every one of them came to know Christ. He went through the beating three times with barbed wire. I'm not saying that that's Obviously not something we want anybody to face. But he did go through it. And in that process, God saved that village. The point is, our God is sovereign. He is in control. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you're God. We do not understand. There's so much about this coronavirus pandemic that we just do not understand as our human race. We're still learning and still trying. Lord, I pray you use us as Christians, whatever it might be, as an opportunity to share the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact we know that forgiveness and that you are God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just share a couple of things with you, and then we're done for today. As we head into May, this is the last Sunday in, in April, as we head into May, we're going to continue for right now to worship this way. We'll be having the sermons up, and you can tune in at 1045. Peter will be having uh, the worship, and we'll be sharing God's word. For We're looking at May. We'll see where we are when June arrives. Please continue to pray for us, and, and as I mentioned to you earlier, thank you for your faithfulness, and just continue to give. You can mail to the church. You can give online. We've still got the... the, the uh, Fred's building, if you want to give toward that, just you can mark it Arlington uh, Expansion Fund or you can mark it Fred's Fund. But thank you for your faithfulness, and I hope that the Lord is using this, and I hope the words of encouragement that, that Steve's putting up for you and uh, that we're doing, I hope that those have been uh, encouraging to you. That was the reason we're doing them. But I want you to know uh, from our hearts as elders and from mine as your pastor, I love you, deeply appreciate all that you've done. I'm praying for you. God bless you.